you've been a wanderer all your life. You've never stayed in one place for hardly more than a year. You've wandered through a desert place where you have had to depend upon God to provide water, shelter, food. Your life has been characterized by dependence, utter dependence on Him all of your life. And you have seen some crazy things happen. This this journey of depending upon God, you have seen Him provide in ways that absolutely are inexplicable. Except that there is a God. And you would think that that sight, that that experience would cause you and everybody around you to have this incredible, dynamic, robust faith and trust and obedience in this God that has provided for you time and time and time again. But that's not the truth. As a matter of fact, when you were 11 years old, God, in judgment of our collective disobedience, sent an earthquake outside the camp and your best friend was swallowed up by the earth. And not just him, but his family and two other families. Their memories gone. Another time your whole neighborhood was griping about the food and you were remembering the fish that you had back in Egypt, the melons and the leeks and the cucumbers. You cried out to the Lord and God said, I'll, I'll give you something. And He sends quail, desert chickens. And you feasted. I mean, you had them every way you could possibly imagine. Grilled, sautéed, boiled. You just ate chicken until literally it ran out of your nose. You vomited it up. You were so sick of chicken. Little desert chickens. Your leader, this guy named Moses, this guy, This guy, he seems to have this connection with God that is unlike anything you've ever seen. And yet, at more than one dinner in your tent with your mom and dad, you've heard your mom and dad gripe about him. Say, why didn't he take us to this place? Why isn't he moving and why isn't he leading us better? Why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that? And you've heard it your whole life. And for the most part, Moses handles it. He, he takes it in stride. But there's this one time Moses lost it. He took the staff. I mean, this staff is the staff that he threw down before Pharaoh. 
And that staff turned into like a crocodile and it ate all of the snakes that the Egyptian magicians had made. It just ate them up. That staff that he had simply stuck into the Nile River and turned the entire river to blood and initiated and inaugurated a series of plagues that brought the world superpower to its knees so that Pharaoh himself, who thought he was God, would finally yield to the only true God and say, get out of my country. You may have your request to let your people go. I'm letting you go. But then fickle Pharaoh changed his mind and that same staff was held out over the waters as Pharaoh was coming for us to destroy us with all of his chariots and all of his horsemen. And that staff was held out over the water as you held the hand of your little sister and her the hand of her little brother and in your other hand your mom and in her other hand your dad. And you walked through on dry land And to your left, you saw a wall of water. And on your right, you saw a wall of water. And you saw shadows of whales and fish that could consume you in one bite. But you walked through safely. Because that staff in Moses' hand, God parted waters to deliver you. And not just you, but every friend that you had and all of their families. But this day, Moses takes that staff and he loses it. Because we've been complaining about water again and we're freaking out even though God has provided for us and we know we ought to trust Him, but we're freaking out. And Moses takes the staff and God had commanded him to take the staff and smite the rock once and Moses just starts whooping this rock with that staff, just smacking it. And water gushes forth. And we're saved yet again. But it cost him. It cost him. A few weeks later, God takes Moses to the boundary of the promised land where we've been headed for 40 years. And he shows it to him. And he says, your people are going to enter into this. But you're not going to, Moses. Moses comes back. He preaches a series of about five or six sermons, which we call the book of Deuteronomy, to get us ready to enter into the promised land. And then right before we, are, we go in, Moses and God take a walk. And Moses doesn't come back. We didn't get to go to his funeral. We don't know where he's buried. Joshua and Caleb are our leaders now. We're in the promised land. And to be honest, it's not that much different than the wilderness. There's still work to do. It's still a desert. We're still having to see God provide for us. The only exception is that this is our God-given home. We know we're where we're supposed to be. And we have some work to do. Hopefully, for our kids, we can clear this land and provide a place of peace, rest, hope, and comfort for them. For our kids. 
but it didn't turn out like we had hoped. We didn't fully obey God. We didn't do everything that He asked. Once Joshua and Caleb died, everyone started just doing whatever was right in their own eyes. And God would bring judgment. And then God, in His mercy, would bring a judge to deliver us out of the judgment that He had sent because of our disobedience. And this went on time and time and time and time again. And I lost more friends. Finally, we asked God for a king. We wanted to look like the nations around us. We wanted a king. We had forgotten that God was our king, that we already had one. And God warned us about the king that we had asked for. He said, get this king. Doesn't matter who he is. He's going to take your money. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your sons and he's going to take your daughters. And we said, we don't care. We just want to be like our neighbors. Give us a king. And so he gave us one. And he was terrible. And then he gave us another one who was better. But he did the same things that God said he would do. Then he gave us one that kind of entered us into this incredible time of prosperity. This guy named Solomon. This was the guy who got us into a building we had been worshiping in this set up and tear down tabernacle the entire time, but Solomon got us into a temple, a place that we could go and offer our sacrifices. We didn't have to worry about the wind blowing the curtains. We didn't have to worry about any of that. We had a, something solid, and we only got to enjoy it for about 400 years before we entered into idolatry again, and God sent another nation to come in and judge us. And over time, it's a long story, but our nation split up. You could say that mom and dad got divorced. And it wasn't amiable. Both sides started worshiping other gods. The gods of our neighbors rather than the God who had delivered us from the slavery of the Egyptians. But, through a series of judgments and mercies and judgments and mercies, we're back here in this place called the promised land. Our land that is ours by divine right. And our king, Herod, is building us a new temple. And it is massive. But this place doesn't feel like a promised land. Rome occupies our streets. And we're tenants in our own house. We can only do what Rome allows us to do. This place is called the promised land, but it doesn't feel like it. We're supposed to be a blessed people, but it doesn't feel like it. Our people are divided. Some of my friends want to kill every Roman they see. And others of my friends say, no, this is God's way. And there isn't much peace or rest or comfort. Or hope. This does not seem like a land of blessing. It doesn't seem like a land of promise. But I've heard about this Jesus guy. My buddy said that he healed his daughter. I've got another friend that waited in line for Jesus to heal his daughter. And Jesus just didn't show back up the next day. And his daughter still isn't healed. But I've got one guy, one friend that swears by him. And one guy that is totally let down by him. And he says that he can do miracles like Moses. 
So I'm here today to listen to him. To see what he has to say. Maybe he'll do something. And Jesus walks out and sits down on the mountainside on a rock and opens up his mouth and says these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You hear these words. And they give you hope. But at the same time, they frustrate you. Because that doesn't seem like your reality. So what does blessed mean? What does blessed mean? You know, in our day and age, we look at that and we, we can't help but think of a hashtag that we've seen on Instagram of somebody on a yacht in Cabo enjoying $50 a piece shrimp. Is that blessed? Is that what that means? In the original language, it means happy. Happiness. Highly favored. Highly favored by God as by divine grace, but highly favored, blessed. Happy and highly favored are the poor in spirit? I don't know anybody that's poor that's happy. Jesus? I, happy are those who mourn? What is this guy saying? I nudge my buddy and I'm like, are you sure this guy healed your daughter? He is talking crazy. But the more you listen to it, the more you start contemplating it and thinking through it, you don't have all of your confusion removed, but it's starting to open up your eyes a little bit. You're starting to see it. Blessed, in the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the broken. The broken. People who are broken before the Lord. That's who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. 
kingdom of heaven. So not this kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the, are the grieving, for they shall be comforted. Oh. Yeah. Come to think of it as I look back on my life. I don't experience comfort unless I'm hurting. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek, the humble, that's not the, it's not the proud, it's not the arrogant, it's not the insolent. It's definitely not a characteristic of Rome. And frankly, it's not a great characteristic of a lot of the political parties of Israel or America. The idea of meek, that idea of broken hum, humility, it, it, the word is used of breaking a horse. A horse that cannot be ridden, that is, un, its unpredictability and its brute strength just make it a, des, a, a danger for the rider and everyone around it. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. There's something. That reminds me of the wilderness. That reminds me of the desert. Hunger and thirst. We hungered for other things. We thirsted for water. We hungered for a place. We hungered for rest. We hungered for comfort. But we didn't hunger and thirst for righteousness much. We were never satisfied. I wonder if that has something to do with what we hungered and thirst, thirsted for. Because I don't think it was righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Happy are the compassionate ones. That's true. I've seen that. The people who show the most compassion seem to be the most at peace. The most blessed. The most happy. Those who give their lives away for others. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Happy are the people who live lives of integrity and consistency and authenticity. People who ring true when they're dinged. Let me ask you. When you're dinged. Do you ring true? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So they get the same thing that the blessed are the poor in spirit get. They get the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to stop right here because I know we've been through a lot. In the last year, two years. But. I mean, I know we got shut out and we couldn't meet in here as a church for a few months. We had to meet online. Some of our community groups had to start meeting in backyards and not in person. But that's not persecution. That's not persecution. If that's persecution, we owe some of our brothers and sisters in Somalia 
and in China. We owe them an apology if that's persecution because what they're suffering is indescribable. If we can meet in our backyards with other believers around a campfire, fire pit, and we call that persecution because we can't rent our school, Don't, don't use the word persecution. That's not it. But those who really are persecuted for righteousness sake, that thing that he asked for, that those who hungered and thirst for righteousness, if, if that's what we're persecuted for, if that's what we're being kicked out of our homes and hauled off to jail and killed and beaten for, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't think that America is the promised land. We have a lot of freedom, but it's not the, it's not the promised land. Any more than Israel was the promised land 2,000 years ago with Roman occupation. Because... I don't believe that the promised land is a place or a thing. Here's what I mean by that. A move from Babylon back to Palestine was not a magic bullet of blessing for Israel. It didn't change. It didn't, it, it didn't fundamentally change where they found their peace and their hope and their rest and their comfort. And if a move wasn't a magic bullet for Israel, it's not going to be a magic bullet for you either or me. The new job, the new house, the new church, the new car, the new relationship will not give you what your heart most deeply desires or what your soul most desperately needs. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. The trouble is that just like Israel, we're afraid. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm afraid that what I really want is not Jesus, but what Jesus can give me. I'm afraid that what I want is the gift and not the giver. We are all too much like Israel, crying for a king so that we can look like our neighbors. And we wouldn't say it. We wouldn't say that that new house or that new church or that new relationship or that new car or the new flat screen that's 120 inches UCLED TV We wouldn't say that we would bow before those things, but golly, we do. Man, we do. We're too much like our neighbors asking, crying for a king so we can look like everyone else. And it's the craziest thing because we ask God for blessings about things that we are di directly disobedient in relation to. We ask God for a promotion at work 
and a pay raise when we've never obeyed God financially in our lives. We've never tithed. We've never given. And yet, we ask God, bless me. Bless me. Bless me. We never repent of our lack of financial faith and we refuse to give 10% to the God who gave 100% to us. And that's just one example. It's just one. We are a fickle folk. So if the promised land is not a place and it's not a thing, well, what is it? Because you said promised land. God said promised land. It's in the Bible. That sure sounds like a place. Land is a place. I know. And technically, you're right. But I think in the bigger scheme of things, promised land is a person. And his name is Jesus. That's the only place that we find true rest, true peace, true comfort, and true hope. That's the only place we find that. And we think about it, we think, I mean, we're getting ready to go into Christmas. I mean, Costco and Walmart are already getting out the Christmas decorations and they're saying happy holidays. And what, well, what is that? It's because we're celebrating the child of promise. This king that would come and would set things right. And yet, he was not born like we, it wasn't what we expected. You're sitting there on the hillside listening to him teach the Beatitudes and that is not what you expected him to say. This guy that is supposed to be the king. The newborn king. The 33-year-old king. The king who heals some people and then doesn't others. By the way, I just want to take a little bit of an aside and have you think about that for just a, a little bit. That Jesus didn't heal everyone. Have you ever really thought, I mean, we say that and conceptually we understand that. But have you ever put yourself on the other side of that as the, as the dad? The dad whose little girl was born and we don't know whether it was because of poor nutrition or because of of malnourishment or we, we don't know what it was we don't know if it's something she's just we don't know what it was but she's just never walked and you're in bed one night she's nine years old there's a knock on your door you're already in bed like god what in the... you get up you throw clothes on you go up there what it's your brother-in-law you're like hey Joe, bro, I just saw it. I, there's this guy, his name's Jesus. Some people are saying he's the Messiah. I, I saw him heal hundreds of people. Little kids in way worse shirt, shape than your little girl. I saw it with my own eyes on the north shore of Galilee. And if you've ever been there, you know that every little village is only about 15, 20 minutes of walk apart from one another. And he says... I, he's over in Capernaum. He's do it. He, he did it all day yesterday. 
let's go. Let's, right now, if we can go over there, we can be first in line. We can get, you know, we can set our tent up at the, at the Walmart where Jesus is going to be, and we, you know, like Black Friday, and we can just, we can be there. And so you, you go. And 6 a.m. rolls around, and he's not there. And 10 a.m. rolls around, and he's not there. And finally, somebody comes and says, Jesus isn't coming. Because he left. His disciples wanted him to come and do the same thing he did yesterday here, but he said, no, let's go on to another village. And you didn't... You're like, no, 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 you don't understand... My little girl's nine years old, and she's never walked. You, you don't understand. No, no, he ain't coming. That's hard. And that will shake you to your core, especially when you're, saying, when you're sitting there listening. And I don't know what you've got going on in your life right now. I don't know what the depth of your hurt is, but you need to understand because I am not going to be up here and I'm not going to sell you a bit of goods and just tell you that Jesus will heal every single thing that is going wrong in your life because He may not. And He's still worthy of worship. He's still worthy of everything you've got. He offers no quick fixes. He offers no full solutions but he does offer presence he says i'll be with you i'll never leave you and i'll never forsake you and he does offer forgiveness of our sin and he does offer sustaining strength for broken poor grieving harassed and helpless thirsty hungry wanderers Looking for a promised land. You see, the happy and the virtuous life, it's not found in a place and it's not found in that thing that you're searching after. It's found in living and practicing God's future reality right now, which is what the incarnation is all about. It's why Jesus was born. He shows us how to live in the presence of God and in the fullness of God But that can only, it can only be done. We cannot, we cannot look at Jesus as an example and say, oh, that's how to do it. Good luck. Good luck. Go on out there. See how that works for you. Write a report on it. I bet it won't be very long. Fail. You can't look at just Jesus as your example. He's not just your example. He's... He's got to be more than that. The happy and virtuous life is living and practicing God's future reality right now. And that can only be done with, through, and in Jesus Christ. It cannot be done on your own strength. It cannot be done just by following Jesus' example. It cannot be done apart from Him and His abiding presence with you, in you, for you Jesus is the promised land that we're looking for and what's crazy is that Jesus embodied every one of these beatitudes perfectly
perfectly. Perfectly. Just real quickly. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus always broken, contrite before God. Those who mourn, did Jesus mourn? Oh, you bet he did. Oh, you bet he did. I mean, the most famous one is Jesus wept and is at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Lazarus had died and he wept for that. But there's another one where he sat outside the city on another hillside outside of Jerusalem. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I, how I wish, how I wish you would have come to me. I would have gathered you. I would have taken you under my wings like a mother hen does all of her little chickens. I would have done that, but you would not. I want to encourage you, those of you who are missionaries, and by the way, if you're a Christian, you are. The question is not whether or not you are a missionary. The, the issue is whether or not you're a good one or a bad one. I want to encourage you to just go and find that in your Bible today. And tonight, around dusk, walk to the end of your street. And if you can get up on a hillside and you can see your neighborhood... I want you to just go, and maybe, maybe you can't, maybe you live in a flat place. Just get to the end of your block and just look down your block and just maybe say that same kind of prayer. Park Paseo, Park Paseo. How I would have loved to gather you, but you won't. You see, that's why you're there. For some of you, your college students, maybe it just means walking down to the end of your hall. Blessed are the meek. Was there ever anyone more humble than Jesus? Blessed are those who hunger and thirsted for righteousness. It was Jesus who would get up, go pray, and he would do that, and he would hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God before all of the interruptions of his day started. Was there anyone more merciful than Jesus? More pure in heart? More willing to extend peace? Who also went the extra mile to make true peace available? And that guy, that guy who embodied all of those Beatitudes perfectly, says, I'm the promise you hope for, and I'll come and I'll take up my residence and live within you. If you'll have me, I stand at the door and I knock and I'll live with you and I will radically change your life. I won't fix every problem in your life, but I'll radically change your life and I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. That's the promise. And he embodied all those beatitudes, demonstrated a full life in spite of all of the difficulties that he faced. And so with that said, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to do one of three things. Well, two of three things. If you are not a follower of Jesus, and when I say that, I, I know that some of you hear follower of Jesus and you say, oh, you mean Christian. No, no, no. I, some of y'all use Christian, and I don't think you mean Christian the way the Bible means Christian. I mean that you're a follower of Jesus. I mean that you've, there has been an experience where you have said, yes, Jesus, I am yours. And I no longer have the right to question anything in your word. But my life is yours. 
if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if that's the kind of Christian that you are, then we invite you to come and take communion, to partake in this body and blood of Christ, this bread and this juice, symbolic of what he did for us, the ultimate price that he paid, the 100% God gave for us. To remember that that's the basis of your righteousness. That's the basis of your right standing before God. Not on how well you perform or not, 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 not on that, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. And we invite you to come and take communion. But if that's not you, that's okay. That's okay. Your, your step is not to come and pretend. Don't be a poser. Your step is to repent and believe. You say, well, what does that look like? Can I repent of all my sin today? Probably not. It's probably going to be a lifetime's worth of stuff you're going to have to learn. That he's going to, but, he, but if you'll repent, if you'll take that step away from saying yes to yourself, and if you'll just take that step toward Jesus and saying yes to Him, believe that He is God, believe that He died on the cross for your sin, believe that He did raise from the grave, and that He can come and change your life. If you'll just take that small little bit of faith, and say, Jesus, I, I'm yours. I don't know everything to know about you, but you can have all of me. You can have all of me. Then if, if you're willing to, to pray that, I'm going to invite you to do that. While everybody else is coming to take communion, you just take a step toward Jesus today. And if you did that, if you do that today, I'm going to ask you to come find me after the service. I'll be out there in the lobby. And let's, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what those next steps are. If you're a believer, take communion. If you're not a believer, but you want to be one, repent and believe today. If you say, I don't know how to do that, I'm not sure about that, get, get coffee, set it up, we'll, let's talk. And then the, the thing that all of us can do is sing. Kyle's going to lead us as, in song. We do most of our singing at the end of the service because we believe that worship ought to be a response not a catalyst. We want to respond to God. The, the right and proper way in the Bible of responding to God and His Word is through the worship of His name and His glory. And so we invite you to do that. And if you say, I don't know the songs, that's okay. Let them, be, let them be sung over you. You can still worship even though you don't know the words. But try. So I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to let those who want to come and take communion. And then we're going to sing together to this God that is our promised land. Jesus, I pray that you would save some of my friends today. God, um, they've, been, they've been tussling with you for a long time. God, I pray that you would bring them out of their cowardice and their fear. That they would just yield it all to you today. That they would believe. That they would repent of depending upon themselves and depending upon their own works and depending upon their own condition. That they would just believe you. God, would you do that? And God, for those of us who were like those weary wanderers and we have this, we're just like Israel. We have this propensity to put our faith and trust in other things. God, every week you call us back to the table, back to the place of bread and wine to remember that it's, those things don't satisfy. Those things that we chase after don't ultimately fulfill, but only you do. 
that you've given us this way of remembering you. God, would we let that sink deep? Would you let that sink deep into our souls today? And then God, may we praise you the way you deserve. For your glory, for our greatest joy, we ask it. Amen. Table Church, I love you guys. I love you. Come to the table. Repent and believe. Sing your guts out for this God that is our promised land.